So let's open in prayer. We'll get started, okay? Dear God, we thank you for, again, a beautiful day you provided for us. We thank you, Lord, also for your, your word that you give us. What a magnificent gift that we can actually open up your word, read it. And in a way, it's like gazing into your face because we can hear what you are telling us. So, Lord, today as we approach this topic on how your love for us has not changed, again, I ask that your spirit, Lord, would be the one who does the teaching and open up our hearts and our minds to see things clearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a student one year come up to me. Yeah. It's not that funny of a picture. <laughs> it was a few years ago, yes. <laughs> but I had a student come up to me uh, one day and ask me the question. She says, um, what, do you, what do you think you have to do to get to heaven and have eternal life? And since she asked me, and this, this is a public school, since she asked me, I was able to, to answer her question. And I, I told her what I believe, basically what I told you yesterday. Um, and she goes, oh, okay. Do you want to know what I believe? And I said, sure, I would love to know what you believe. And she basically said that everybody's going to go to heaven. Only people going to go to hell are the people like Hitler and Stalin and people like that, Mussolini, you know, the really evil people. Um, because God is a God of love, and God loves us. So all we have to really do is just love God, love our neighbors, be a, a generally a good person, and we all go to heaven. And so I was like, huh, really? And she says, after all, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Hmm. Well, I responded to her question. I said, let me, let me just ask you one question. If God is such a loving God and will not send anyone to hell, I mean, if all we have to do is just try and be good, as good as we possibly can, etc., then why did Jesus have to come and die if we could be good enough to do it on our own? And she didn't have an answer. She sat there thinking for a moment, and then she said, I, I, I got to go. And she never answered my question. But I've, many times I have heard this where people say, yeah, we can, everybody can go to heaven because it's, it's so easy. All you got to do is just really be a good person, love each other, uh, love everybody. Don't go out and commit murders and stuff like this. You know, be a generally good person. You, we can be good enough to get to heaven. If that is the case, then why did Jesus have to come and die? See, something's not right with that, that type of theology. Something's wrong. So, let me tell you another story then. Back when I was teaching school, I had a student named Mandy. Mandy was um, a really, really bright and good student at our school. I had Mandy for many different classes. Mandy was not just a student, she was a very dear friend of mine. Um, she was almost the same age as my oldest daughter. Um, and she's just one of the, the sweetest people. And then after graduation, this was the last year I was teaching. And it was 1999, because I came here full-time in 99. And it was the end of the school year. Basically, everybody's gone. The graduation has already taken place. I've already handed out report cards. Everything is done. I'm getting, I've pretty much packed up all my stuff that I was taking in my room and had already moved it out and taken it home. 
but I had some computer work I had to do to finish off reports and stuff and statistics. I, I was department head like at, at my school, so I had some paperwork I had to do. And um, as I was sitting at my computer, it was about five o'clock, and it was like, I think this was the very last day I was at that school. Um, but I was sitting at the computer, and I know it was around five o'clock at night. There's not many students around now. And I'm sitting there typing, and um, all of a sudden, here, uh, I just look up right, the doorway to the hallway is right here by, by my computer desk. And I was sitting here, and all of a sudden, I just, I uh, heard, hi, Michael. And I look up, and there's a head sticking sideways around the door. You know, like, you see, like, in a cartoon or something, person's head just sticking along the side. And I started to laugh. It was Mandy. And I go, hi, Mandy, what are you doing here? And she said, and then she comes in, she says, I knew you'd be here, and I wanted to come and say goodbye to you one last time. And I go, oh, well, that's sweet. Come on in. Have a seat. She sat down next to me. And she says, actually, I have a question. And I go, okay. Um, she says, she asked me, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Wow, Mandy. Well, um, I think we've had this talk before, but let's go over it again. So I went through the salvation talk as like yesterday. You know, because we're sinners, we can't be with a holy God. Only blood can take away our sins, and the blood of animals is really not sufficient to do it, but the blood of Christ can. And if you accept God's free gift, um, his offering of, of Jesus' blood, and that he died for your sins, and truly believe, commit, and trust in that, you can go to heaven. And as I'm telling her this, she had tears going down her face. And I thought, wow, she's really catching it this time. And she was just really crying. I mean, this girl really was sitting here crying as she's listening to me speak. And when I finished, I said, so what do, you, what do you think, Mandy? What do you want to do? And something happened in the next moment that has never happened to me before and had, it has never happened since. Mandy abruptly, very quickly, got up out of her chair and ran out of the room. I must admit, I was a little stunned. What, what, what was that? So I got up and I ran after her. She's running down the hall. So I go chasing her down the hall. I catch her about five or six rooms down. I turn her around, catch her by the shoulders. I turn her around and I go, what happened? What's the matter? What, what just happened? She says, it won't work for me. It won't work for me. And she broke away from my grip and ran down further. I continue to chase after her down this long hallway. I catch her again. And I said, what do you mean it won't work for you? It'll work. And she goes, no, no. No, um, Michael, I know you know a lot of things about me. I know you know a lot of things that I have done and stuff, but there's some things, Michael, I have never told you, and God could never forgive me of those things. She says, it will not work for me. And as she was, as she was saying this and crying, she says, it just won't work for me. And, and she broke away again, and she kept running. I go down, and I catch her right at the, the foyer of the school now. And we're standing here, and I pull her aside again. I said, listen, Mandy, just, just answer a couple of questions real quick. Did you ever commit a murder? Is that what you did? She says, no, I never did that. I said, did you ever go into uh, uh, somebody's house and, and beat them up? No, I never did anything like that. Did you ever go into somebody's house and with a mob, get a mob and go attack some people and bring them out simply because they disagree with something that you say? No, I would never do that. Did you ever go into a city anywhere and start a riot? No, I never did anything like that. I said, that was the apostle Paul before God got hold of him. And if God can save Paul, who went on to write most of the New Testament, God can forgive you of what you've done. She paused, and she, I could see her thinking. Through the red-stained, tear-covered eyes, with the ruddy makeup, I can still remember her thinking this out. 
And then she said, it won't work for me. And she broke away from my grip, and I have never seen her since. Hmm. I came across another student on a marine biology trip one year. It was a very interesting evening. I was uh, on the marine biology trip. I uh, have chaperones and teachers and stuff that do room checks at nighttime because we rent out an entire hotel. And um, we have uh, the, the it's shut down at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I have an adult go around and check and make sure everybody's in the right room, et cetera. And then we just, okay, um, good night. And we'll see you guys in the morning. And then the chaperones just walk the grounds for a couple of hours through the night. And this night, I just, I don't know why, but I chose to do it myself. I said, I, I'm going to do it tonight. I just want to do it. You don't have to do it. I want to do it. So I went over as I was doing this, going room to room. I got to the last room, and I peeked my head, and I you know, knocked the door. I said, is everybody here? I have to see you. And they all, yeah, yeah, Michael, we're here. I said, okay, good night. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And then I thought, okay, it's such a beautiful evening. I'm going to walk down and sit on the dock and just uh, watch the stars and just listen to the sea as it's crashing on the shoreline. And as I started walking towards the dock, I heard the door behind me open, and out came a girl named Marissa. She was a senior from Milwaukee. And I turned around, and thinking there's something wrong, I said, uh, you need something, Marissa? Do you guys need towels, uh, toilet paper? Is there something you need? She goes, no, 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 nothing like that. Can we talk? Sure, sure. So I said, let's go over here where there's some light. So we went over and sat on the dock, and we sat down on the dock, and right underneath one of the lights, I said, uh, so what's, what's up? And she says, I'm really troubled by something you said. I said, what's that? She, she says, on Easter Sunday, you said during the service time that God can forgive us of all of our sins, all of our sins. Is that true? I said, yes, it is true. He says, I don't mean any disrespect. I don't mean, you know, to, to really question you, but is that like something that's in the Bible? I said, do you own a Bible? She says, well, my family owns one really big one. We keep it on a counter in our house, and we take it out and read it at Christmas time, and we read it at Easter. Outside of that, we never, never use it. I go, oh. I said, let's go get you a Bible. So we went uh, to my, my room. That's where our libraries uh, of books are for our trip. And I pulled out a Bible, a brand new Bible. We bring some down on these trips for this type of situation. Came back, we sat there again under the light on the, on the dock. And I unwrapped the Bible and I knew she would not know where things are and stuff like this. But I said, let me show you something. And I turned to the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 and also verse 9. And I handed it to her and I said, read verse 7 and read verse 9. And it says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Both verses are saying basically the same thing. And she's sitting here, and she starts to tear up. And I go, what's going on? She says, wow, this is really in the Bible. I said, yes, it is. And she says, this is a promise from God, right? I said, yeah. And God can't break his promises. No, he can't. And I could just see relief going through her face. I go, what is going on? What haven't you told me? And she said that back home, the pastor of her youth group told her that she had done so many and certain sins that God could never forgive her. And there was no way she could ever go to heaven. 
I told her, you need to go to a different church. But I said, you see, this is right in the Bible. This is a promise made from God. God can't break his promises. God can't lie. And sitting there, she accepted God's grace and became a Christian that night sitting there on the dock. But I was appalled that a pastor of a church would ever tell somebody, there is no way you can go to heaven because of a sin you have done. Really? I'd love to know how that pastor explains 1 John 1, 7 and 1 John 1, 9, where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. I would really like to see them explain that one. It's sad that people are taken in by such lies of the world because God is not a God that's out there trying to destroy you. He isn't waiting for you to screw up and stuff. One of the attributes or characteristics, if you will, of God is that God is love. Now, we all know that. Matter of fact, I remember sitting in, in uh, freshman year in high school and we were sitting in a circle in a, in a writing class and the, the teacher of the class had us discuss certain things, like he would, he would play a game, and he would say an, uh, a word, and then you had to say like a synonym of the word. And as it was going around, um, he said the word God. And then we're all sitting in a circle, and people were like, oh, um, you know, love. I don't know how many people, love, that's the best description of God. And as I've told you before, the best description of God is holy. Love is a characteristic of God, but love Pure, perfect love, that is really holy. That's a better description is holy. But God is a God of love. There's no question about it. But unfortunately, there are many people today that think that what God is, he's some eternal being up there in heaven watching us with a microscope or, or uh, a spyglass, and he's got a fly swatter in his hand, and he's waiting for you to screw up so he can go, gotcha. That is not God. If that's what you're thinking God is like, you have not really studied his 66 love letters that he gave you. The 66 love letters I referred to is what we call the Bible. I love calling these love letters because that's what they are. Now, this is not an image of God. Now, when we say that God is love, I was, when I was writing this this past winter, trying to figure out what's the best description describing God and God's love that I can give to high school people. And I sat and looked through a lot of books and stuff. Finally, I went to Wayne Grudem's book called Systematic Theology, uh, which is just a book on theology. It's one of the bestsellers of theology. If you want a good book on theology? I recommend Wayne Grudem's. It's, it's an excellent book, not so yay thick, but it covers everything. You have a question about theology, he's got an answer to it, and he pulls all of his answers right out of the Bible. It's really good, and it's easy to read. But in this, I looked up God's love, God's characteristics, his attributes, and one of them was love. And this is what Wayne Grudem actually said. And I thought this was really good. He says, quote, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others, unquote. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, that doesn't sound like the best description of love I've ever heard. Well, that's because there's so many different definitions of love. I love mangoes. You know, I, I, I know people who love their car. I know people who, who love their, their dog and their cat. 
Um, I even know people who love certain TV shows. And you know, we use love so infrequently in, in so many weird ways. And that's how it is in English. But if you go back to Greek, Greek is like the most perfect language. Greek is very specific. And there's different words for different types of love. There's uh, philo, which is like brotherly love. There is um, the word probably most of you are familiar with. We hear it often called agape. The Greek word is agapeo. And agapeo, where we get the word agape, that is the type of love that God has towards you. It's the encompassing love. But I remember a person in the first, uh, or earlier this summer when I was teaching this class, and they actually, it was very, you guys are one of the quietest groups I've ever had. Um, but they were sort of vocal. If they had a question, a hand would pop up, and they would just ask me stuff. And a person, after I said this, uh, definition of love from Wayne Grudem, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. They said, that's, that's not the best description. I don't think that's a really good description. And I said, maybe you're not understanding it. Let me put it in a different term. So if you're sitting in, the, in here too, right now, and thinking, that doesn't seem like the best description of a really good love. Well, let me explain it to you, what he's really trying to say. And he is saying in this, Love means giving of yourself, putting other people first, above your own needs. I'm reminded of a student of mine whose name was Wendy. Wendy was also a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, she went on a marine biology trip many times. Uh, she even came back and helped us as one of our leaders. Um, <clears throat> she called me up one day when I was here at Fort, um, and I, my phone rang, I picked it up, and it was Wendy. I was like, how in the world did you even find me? She had no idea. I, I'm sure I was at Fort Wilderness or whatever. She says, yeah, it took me a while to figure out where you were at, but I found you. And I go, well, what's going on? What can I do for you? She says, I'm getting married. And I go, oh, that's great. Anybody I know? She says, no, 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 somebody I met. But um, he's studying to be a pastor and stuff like that. And I go, well, that's great. Um, so why, why, you know, what can I do for you? Uh, or she just called just to tell me that. Because I felt like she was going to ask me something. I do, I'm an ordained minister, so I do get asked to do weddings and stuff. Uh, matter of fact, I'm doing a wedding two weeks from this coming Saturday. Um, it's my daughter. It's going to be fun. I get to do my youngest daughter's wedding. I am going to have so much fun with this. Because I get to walk, I get to walk out and I get to walk her down the aisle. I get to ask up on the platform, who gives this woman to be married? Then I get to run down and get with my wife and say, we do. Then I get to run back up. I'm going to have a ball doing this. But anyway, so she says, Michael, I, the reason I'm calling is I want to ask you a question because I've always noticed um, and, and watched you and Denise very carefully. She says, um, your marriage seemed like a, per a perfect marriage to me. I said, well, <laughs> we are not perfect, Wendy, no way. She says, well, to me, you, you are. When you consider what my family was like, and her family was not the greatest family. Her dad committed suicide right in front of the family during a meal one night. Um, he was a very difficult person, I'll just say. Um, but Wendy... Um, she really had a rough time, a, a rough road to hoe. And um, so she watched, I did not know she watched Denise and I in that type of, um, those kind of glasses on studying us. But she says, you guys always seem to have the nicest relationship on the marine biology trips. If I came over to your house, you know, it was, you guys were always 
like the perfect couple to me. And she says, the reason I'm calling, I want to know how, how do you do that? I'm getting married. I want to know how do you do that? Now, I was not prepared for that kind of question. So I'm trying to scan through my mind, what is, in just a few moments, what kind of advice can I give her to help her out? And what I told her is this. I said, I guess one of the things that makes maybe my a relationship with my wife different than how your mom and your dad were is because Denise and I, we basically agreed before we even got married that we were going to put the other person first. And she goes, oh. I said, do you understand what I'm saying? The other person's needs come before you. Because that's what God is doing. Gives of himself. For you guys, that's what he's doing. Let me put it this way. Guys, let's make a, a little story here. I'm going to give you some tremendous advice here that I should ask money for, but I won't, because this is really important. <laughs> Girls, you're going to glean off of this too. This is what, let me give you an illustration showing what God's love means and he eternally gives himself to others. Let me put it in terms of being married and explain this. Husband and wife, middle of the night, they're laying in bed. The wife is pregnant. Outside, storm, rain, pouring rain. Uh, it's been raining for hours and hours. And it's a cold rain, just, just a downpour. And you're laying there next to your wife who's pregnant, and you realize she's awake. And you go, is there something wrong, hon? She says, oh. I am craving a pickle so bad. I'll get up and get you one. Don't bother. I ate them all. There's no pickles in the house. And then she just rolls over. And the husband lays there for a few moments, listening to her quietly calm down, slowly gets out of the bed, goes over, quietly takes his clothes, goes into another room, dresses, goes down the stairs to the door, puts on his boots, gets a coat, walks outside in the pouring rain in the middle of the night, and walks six blocks down to where there is a 7-Eleven store goes in there because it's open 24 hours, gets in there, goes to the pickles, and then realizes, oh my gosh, there's so many different types. Does she want kosher dill? She want garlic? Does she want sweet pickles? She wants sweet gherkin? What? So he takes a basket and he just starts buying them all. One jar of each type, because she didn't specify. Goes up to the counter, pays for it, and the guy at the counter says, somebody's pregnant, right? Yes pays the money, they bag it up in plastic bags, two bags full of pickles, and he walks back through the pouring rain when he could be sleeping in that nice warm bed and just getting somewhat wet and everything, sneaks into the house very quietly, goes into the kitchen as he takes off all of his wet clothes and puts his jammies back on, and he gets there in the kitchen and he, he puts out a tray with plates and he takes 
pickles from every different type and spreads them on different plates, picks up the tray, walks into the bedroom and says, "Hun, I got something for you. She rolls over. He sits this down in front of her. I didn't know what kind he needed. But there you go. And if you need more, I got more. Do you understand what this means now? God's love means that God eternally gives of himself. The man is not thinking about his own comfort in that bed, being in that warm bed, stepping out into the cold, getting off. That he could care less about. She had a craving for a pickle, and it was the number one thing on his agenda. Not worrying about sleeping and how awake he's going to be the next morning at work. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. She had a craving for a pickle. She never even asked, did you catch that? She never said, would you go to the store and get me some? That's giving of yourself. That's what you look for, ladies. That's what you look for in a man. Guys, that's being a real husband. You don't expect anything back, but she's comforted. She's happy. And if she's happy, you're happy. And that's all the payment you need. That's how God does that. God loves you so much that he gives you the pickles all the time in life. Even when you don't even know you need it or crave it, he's there to give it to you. Look at John, 1 John 4, 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, don't let propitiation mess you up. That's the substitute. That's the, the person who's going to take the sin away from us. That's what he does. But he's doing this because he loves us. That's the whole point of God. Look at Romans 5.8, using the God's word translation, which is a word for word. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This demonstrates God's love for us. Do you see what this verse is saying? God died for us. He's talking about that's love. When? While we were still sinners. Do you realize that where you're sitting right now in this room, God could never love you more than the maximum that he is giving to anybody, everybody, and he's doing that for you right now. Some people think, well, if I do this and this and this, God will love me more. They don't understand God. God already loves agapeo, the ultimate, the highest level. And every single one of you, that's how much God loves you right now. I was speaking to a, a youth group a couple of winters ago. And a guy came up to me and he said, wow, I want to become a Christian, but um, I got to clean up my act first. I said, clean up your act? What do you mean clean up your act? He says, well, I got I to clean up my act before I can become a Christian. You know, I got to be good enough that God will love me. The guy just obviously did not get it. And showing him Bible verses and stuff, he didn't catch it. So I decided, okay, let me put this in a different term for you. 
do you own a car? He says, yeah, I own a Mustang. Ooh, you like your Mustang? I love my Mustang. Great. Does it ever get dirty? Yeah. Do you ever take it to the car wash? All the time. It gets a spot on it. It's in there. And I have them, I take it, we got a really, he's telling me about this car wash. They, you get out, they have guys get inside, they polish everything, clean everything. They clean the outside, they clean the inside. It's a great place. It's worth it. My car is worth it to me. I go, do you ever wash your, your car gets dirty. Do you ever wash it first and clean it all up yourself and then take it to the car wash? He goes, no. Why would I do that? I said, that's what you're doing with God right now. You're telling me you're going to try and clean yourself up. He's the guy who does the cleaning. Don't try and clean your car yourself. You don't clean your car yourself. Why do you think you got to go clean up your act to come to God? Let his Holy Spirit do clean. He's going to do it a lot better than you can. That's like trying to wash your car with a Q-tip. You're doing it yourself. You're not going to get very far. Now, while we're still sinners, God loves us. Wow. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, remember yesterday that word, that's the word pestuo, believes in him, or I could say that whoever trusts and commits themselves, they will not perish but have eternal life. Commits to Christ, whoever pestuo. But God loves us so much. God loves us before we're cleaned up. He loves us in the dirty state. There is no way you could ever clean up your act. I taught at a school down in the Bahamas. We had a custodian, fantastic guy. His name was Cedric. I'm not sure. I, I doubt he's alive today. Cedric was one of the greatest custodians I've ever had in school. The guy had a heart to serve people like you would not believe. But I remember talking to him one time, and I said, Cedric, are you a Christian? No, no, I'm not a Christian. Not a Christian, no. Why not? I tried living the Christian life. Yeah, man, try living the Christian life. It's too hard. Couldn't do it. No. Doesn't work for me. I said, Cedric, you don't try to live the Christian life. Nobody can try to live the Christian life. You let the Holy Spirit come inside of you, and God starts transforming you. He never did quite understand that. I hope you understand that. Or how about Galatians 2.20? Again, in God's Word translation, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by believing. That's Pishtuo again. Believing in God's Son who loved me and took the punishment for my sins. Do you realize how much God loves you? Not just with pickles, but His blood would be shed for you. When I take people to Israel, I love when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because people all, well, this is where Jesus uh, prayed and was betrayed and stuff like this, yes. But I often try and tell people, do you realize what was going on in Jesus at that moment? Jesus was actually becoming aware, because of his human nature, all of the sins of the entire world are going on him. Let me ask you a question right now. Rhetorical question, don't answer. How do you feel, how do you really feel when you get caught in a sin? He's just like, oh, okay, I did something wrong. Or does it eat away at you? You feel shame? You feel guilt? It drives you absolutely crazy? Maybe you can't even sleep at night? Now, that moment when you did that and you had that feeling, Christ was feeling that because he was God. He was feeling that in the garden. Now, multiply that for all of the people who have ever lived and ever will live. 
That's what was upon Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. The stress from that practically almost killed him, just the stress alone. It caused a condition in his body called hematridosis. Dr. Luke describes it. His sweat became like drops of blood. Because when you get under extreme stress, this is more than taking a test in school, extreme stress, if you almost come to like a point of death, blood vessels around surrounding your sweat glands in your, uh, in your skin break open and the blood leaches into the sweat gland and then gets deposited in the sweat on the surface and the person looks like a bloody mess. Actually, the blood loss is very low, but they're covered in blood. And that's what Jesus was going through in Gethsemane because he loves you. There's a song, an old song that used to say, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he chose to die for you and me. He didn't do it because he had to. This is agapeo. It shows us the true nature of God, that God really is love. And now some people say, well, God loves everybody and as a collective, not individually. No, God loves individually. Let me prove it to you in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 3. Look what it says. The Lord appeared to me in a faraway place and said, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you. God picks out people and he picks out everybody. God loves you more than you'll ever know. And it's unmerited. You didn't do anything to earn it. While we are still sinners, God loves you so much. God's love is also unconditional. You don't try to earn it. You don't try thinking things like this. Well, I tell you what, if I start following the Jewish celebrations, and I know people who do this, um, for this reason, if I follow the Jewish celebrations, God will love me more. No. You can't do anything to make God love you more. That's how much he loves you. And you can't earn it. He loves us even before we even know him. He's already in full love of us. Individually. I love this story. This is a great example of how much God loves. You ever read the book of Hosea? This is the most bizarre book in the Old Testament. It's one of these minor prophets. Most people never even heard of it. But this is, I, I got to set the scene for you. This is the most bizarre book. Hosea was a prophet of God. He's a good guy. Good guy. God is telling him he is the voice of God for kings and everything. So God speaks to him. He's used to hearing God's voice. One day, this bachelor man, Hosea, man of God, gets a message from God. And he hears God say, Hosea, you've been a bachelor long enough. It's time for you to get married. Oh, okay, God. Uh, where is he? I can just imagine his face like that. Yeah. Ooh, where, where is he? Where, where's she at? Um, this is what I want you to do, Hosea. I want you to go find a prostitute. Pick out a prostitute. Marry her. And somebody who's still active in prostitution so that she will have children that are not yours. Go and marry her. you got to think, Hosea had to ask, do we have a bad connection? Are, are you kidding? Well, he does it because he's a man of God. Doesn't make any sense. 
He does it. He goes and finds the girl. Anybody knows the girl's name? Gomer. Never named your daughter Gomer. <laughs> Gomer is name. Now, if you think, you know, that's a funny name for a girl and stuff. But if you read some ancient Jewish commentaries on the book of Hosea, they say that, that Gomer was like the most beautiful woman in all the land. Like she was a scale 15 out of a 10. I mean, absolutely beautiful. But she was a prostitute. She was, yeah, she was very loose. And so what happens is he does marry her, and then she has kids that are not his. Eventually, she gets so wrapped up in this, in this life that she runs away from this holy man, can't stand living with this holy man anymore, runs away from him, and actually gets with her pimp, and her pimp is making a lot of money because she's so beautiful and making lots of money off of her as he's just pimping her out from one guy to the other. And then God says to Hosea this. Then the Lord told me, this is chapter 3, verse 1, love your wife again, even though she is loved by others and has committed adultery. Love her as I, the Lord, love the Israelites, even though they have turned to other gods. What God was saying here was this. He's using Hosea as an example for all the nation. When God took the Israelites to Mount Sinai, he married, that's the actual phrases that's used in Scripture, he married the Hebrew people. They were his wife, his bride, if you will. But they then started committing adultery with other idols, other gods. But God still loved them so much that he has Hosea do this to illustrate how much he loves. So Hosea does this. He goes to the pimp. He pays the pimp off with all the money he wants. I want to buy her back. And he pays this exorbitant fund and carries her home and brings her back into his house and loves her. That's a good illustration of the love of God, let me tell you. That's amazing. God is love, and he loves you so much. We were created in his image, and we are to be imitators of God. We are commanded, not suggest, we are commanded to love like God does. Deuteronomy 11.1 1 says, Love the Lord your God and do what he wants you to do. Always obey his laws, rules, and commands. Matter of fact, Jesus says, if you love me, okay, you can prove it by following my commandments, doing what I say. Then you prove you love me. That's what God is saying here in Deuteronomy. Look in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is an interesting passage because there's a, a, a wise man comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus basically says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And basically that's all of the commandments wrapped up together right there. If you do that, you're keeping all the commandments. But I want to show you something fascinating about this. Most people know this verse, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Most people know that. Let me try and pull something, because I know you guys are not Jewish. Let me try and pull something of Jewish culture out of, out of this in, in your mind and help you see something that's real. This might impact your life, might really change your life here. Watch this. Remember yesterday I told you about the sacrifice, the animal? When you committed a sin, you put your hands on it. Remember that? Remember what they did? They cut the throat. They took the blood. Blood atones for sin. Okay. Then what did they do with the animal? Anybody remember? They cut it up into how many pieces? Four pieces. What were the four pieces? The legs, the head, the fat, and the heart. Jesus is saying, this is what he's is saying now. That was the sacrifice. 
But look what this verse says. With all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Four things, right? Have you made the connection already now? When you sacrificed on the altar, this is a prayer. This is what God is asking of us to do. And it's the basis of the burnt offering. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is the burnt offering. No, we don't do a burnt offering today. There's no temple or tabernacle. We are the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. So we don't have to take an animal to there. God's blood was used. God's body was used as our sacrifice. And that's a perfect sacrifice. So you take this, and they divide it into the four parts. uh, Heart, soul, strength, and mind. The heart, yeah, they took that and grilled it. The soul, to the Jews, soul was represented of the fat. Fat is an insulator. It's the prosperity of the organism, a precious thing. Fat was the soul. Strength. The skeletal muscles, which do things. Picking up a cup to take a drink. I'm using skeletal muscles attached to my bones. The behavior I just did was done by this limb. By cutting the limbs, that's the strength. And the mind was the head. God is asking you, asking all of us today, what he wants of us, to love him with all of our heart. In other words, all of our emotions. Sacrifice your emotions on an altar to God. Our soul, he wants our soul. Love the Lord with all of your soul. Your strength, that is your behavior. The actions that you do, the way you behave, whatever you do, that's the legs. You sacrifice that to God. And then he wants your mind. He wants you to sacrifice your thoughts. Here's where Satan usually attacks you the most. I mean, he'll attack your emotions too with thoughts. Many times he'll just put, he knows right when to do it. You're sitting at a computer or something. All of a sudden an image comes up you know you're not supposed to be looking at. And that's Satan like, I'm going to try and get you. I'm going to try and get your mind. I'm going to try and get you to do this. And he starts doing this. That's why in Corinthians it says, or Paul tells us, to capture every thought. When you see your mind starting to drift like that and Satan coming along with temptation, capture that thought and bring it in. God wants us to sacrifice our minds. He wants our thoughts also. That's what we're supposed to sacrifice. And because God is love, and because God loves us, we are to love each other regardless. Because that last part was to love your neighbor. We are to love everybody like God loves. Not conditionally, unconditionally. God loves all people. You ever notice that God loves everybody regardless how they treat them? Do you know that yesterday we had an absolutely beautiful day, didn't we? So all the Christians here at camp had an absolutely beautiful time. Do you know something? Even the non-Christians, God blessed them. Did he not? When the rain comes, we need crops and stuff for the uh, rain to come and water our crops. Does not God do that for both the Christian and the non-Christian? We should mimic God too in the way we do things. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God is love, God loved us so, uh, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I mean, he's telling us, I'm love, you should act like me. You're my children, act like me. That's what he's saying. How about Matthew 5, 43 through 44, or 45? You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy 
Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on evil and on good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Just what I said. God's doing it to both. So God loves you. Please understand, God is not standing over you up in heaven with a spyglass and a fly swatter waiting for you to mess up so he can go, gotcha. No. That is not God. That's Satan trying to tell you that's how God is. No. He's standing over you, loving you, agapeo love, totally unconditionally. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. But if you're a Christian and you've walked away from God, or if you're feeling not really close to God, well, there's probably some type of roadblock sitting in your path. Chances are you put something there. Now, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's a promise from God. I, I, I quote this often. If a roadblock exists, you're the one who placed it there. Remove it and come close to God. And look what James 4, 8 says. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise. So when you're not feeling like loving God, you're not feeling like there's, you're really in a close relationship right now, but you know you're, you're saved. Maybe there's a roadblock. Maybe there's some sin sitting there that's blocking your path. Maybe it has to do with a computer. Maybe it has to do with a movie theater. Maybe it has to do with uh, what your tongue says. I don't know. But what God says, come close to me. You try. You make an effort to come to me. I'm coming to you. That's how much God loves you. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had here and this lesson we have. And I pray, Lord, that I've explained this well so that people will realize how much you love. Lord, also, as you point out to us that we are to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Lord, I pray for each one in this room and those who are listening to this on the internet that right now, Lord, that they try to make that the way that they live. That they would take that type of sacrifice because that's the sacrifice you want. To love you with all of our heart, all of our emotions, all of our soul, all of our behavior, and throughout all of our mind. Help us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit continue to teach and work upon us. And Lord, if someone has strayed away at this point and wants to come back to you, I pray that you fulfill your promise in James 4, 8. Help them break down that barrier. Don't let Satan keep building these roadblocks, but Lord, take them down. Keep them safe this day in Jesus' name. Amen.